Welcome everybody to another episode of the Tennis Tragic. It is November the 24th, 2019, and uh, we're currently in the middle of the Davis Cup Finals. Well, not in the middle, we're coming up on the end. I guess the finals are happening tomorrow. Uh, we have witnessed quite a bit of tennis since the last time we chatted. The uh, Fed Cup Finals happened here in, t in Australia, although none of us were able to get over to the West Coast for that one. And uh, the ATP finals happen. So uh, even though I seem to keep thinking that the season is over, it's definitely not over yet. I don't know. How are you guys? How are you guys doing? Yeah, that keeps happening to me as well. The finals happen. The ATP finals happen. And I was like, all right, that's it. Uh, and then I forgot about the Davis Cup and I've just kind of been sucked into that. I've been watching a lot of that. But uh, is there anything else after this? Is this really actually the end of the season? <laughs> I think this is really actually the end of the season, except for possibly like challengers or, mm. you know, like the, the tennis channel is already switched to like, show, they just are like replaying highlight finals. Oh yeah. Okay. They just play all the finals from the year. Um, you know, and it's like, actually I could use a break, but on the other side, I feel a little sad, you know, like, <laughs> like I, um, I think I felt more sad though at the end of the ATP cup, not the ATP cup, the, uh, the finals. Yeah. Like, you know, because it's just like all the top men, and that tournament was really good. It was, and um, and then it, you know, like I remember that Sunday just feeling like, oh, this is it. I'm not going to have any tennis to watch for <laughs> like a month. You know, a month and a half. Like, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> and um, and then the next day, the Davis Cup final started. So, <laughs> how's how how's your uh, how's your year end depression going, Matt? Are you uh, are you feeling the loss? prematurely yeah i guess i mean the australian open seems like it's on the it's looming though plus the atp cup you know like it's it's not actually that long to wait and i'm i'm already yeah i think there's always you know there's going to be um stories too like i was reading about roger federer's charity work today and um apparently he's helping a million african children to get education and food Wow, that's amazing. I was kind of like feeling a little bit down on Roger because he decided to go cash this incredible check, like going, you know, touring around South South America with uh, with Zverev. We were we were looking up how much money he made from that, and it was what was it like eight million pounds, nine million pounds, um, which is just wild, you know. Like apparently he made more money from this exhibition tour than he made all year. Um, well, you know, at least in terms of, in terms of winnings, you know, I think probably his Uniqlo deal gets him a little bit more cash, but, um, anyway, that, that like totally flips the, flips the script for me. Cause he's putting his money to something charitable. That's really good to hear. Yeah. I guess like it's philanthropy's okay. It's, um, uh, I don't know, how, you know, he's probably like, uh, you know, I think, <laughs> Um, it's not going to save, it's not going to change the system. These African kids that he's educating are still going to be um, at the mercy of capitalism. But I guess it's, I guess it, I guess it just um, shows that he has a conscience. And he, he notices that he earns heaps of money compared to other people that have nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's still, like, of course it doesn't address the underlying problems, but if everybody who was wealthy made more of a public effort to give back in some fashion, like to contribute 
in a charitable way. Yeah. I think it just, it sets a good example, you know, like I, I recently I've had to like, I've gotten into arguments with people about whether or not like Bill Gates is a great philanthropist, you know, it's kind of a similar thing. You know, this guy's a multi-billionaire and, um, you know, he obviously, he, I mean, he left Microsoft, you know, in terms of day-to-day -day operations ages ago because he decided to put his energy into other stuff, like, you know, trying to address disease in third world countries. And um, it seems to me like that's, how can it be anything but positive? But some people still think like, well, he's a billionaire. So he's, he's part of the problem, you know, <laughs> like, um, I mean, yes, I guess the pro like if you, if you think that the existence of billionaires is a problem with the way our world is functioning today, then, uh, then maybe we need to talk about addressing that, but uh, yeah. maybe out of the purview of this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't have any solutions for getting changing the uh, the billionaire situation. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it's not. Um, you don't. Ex you wouldn't expect like Roger Federer, who's um, a, a sports expert, to to like um, have a political view on how to change the world. But maybe we all should. You know, given like you're like in Australia at the moment, with or in Sydney anyway. The there's this haze, thick haze over the city because of all the bushfires we've been having. Um, it's like it really seems post-apocalyptic and, and our air quality is so bad, it's up there with the worst air quality in the world at the moment. Right. And so people are, you know, school kids are staying inside for their lunch times and, um, yeah, it's health warnings. It's kind of... Yeah, it's wild. You know, I was just in California for a week. I was in L.A. and... You know, they, they basically have a fire season now. That's just, that's a normal part of Californian life. They just expect that every year the countryside is going to catch fire and there's just, you know, there'll be these massive wildfires that have to be contained and there's going to be all this loss of property and possibly life. Um, and it just seems like it's getting worse. Um, and we've had like some, we've had some wild weather the last month or so here in Melbourne. Like there was this sudden hailstorm um, out of the blue. And then last week it was 40 degrees Celsius, 105 Fahrenheit um, and like 50 mile per hour winds and uh, totally overcast, <laughs> which, which actually was the thing that made me the most afraid. Like, like how, like the fact that it could get that hot without the sun was very alarming, you know, and like, you don't want to overreact to like, you know, small sample size. There's always going to be random days where the weather is spooky, but it's been crazy. Yeah. And we can look forward to more of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, since we're so optimistic and future oriented here, how do you guys feel about, about the Davis cup? <laughs> it feels so, it feels so pointless to talk about, tennis in the light of all that stuff but you know we gotta we gotta keep going and enjoy our lives um you know like the davis cup has been reimagined uh gerard piquet i don't know if he like bought the tournament rights i don't know exactly how the change happened but you know they used to have these home and away ties it's like one of the most traditional things in tennis and uh this very like old format and it, you know, like there's so many advantages to the old format, but you can also see some of the downsides, right? Like I got to see Davis cup, uh, Spain versus us in Austin, which is like the only like legit, you know, really high level pro tennis that I got to see living in that city, uh, over the past 15 years. And then, um, 
you know, like smaller countries get to like experience these great ties. Like I know the Belgian players, uh, I mean, the players weren't, I don't know if the players were upset about it, but some of the Belgian fans were making a big deal about trying to boycott the new format. Cause you know, it's not like all of a sudden Antwerp is going to get this like sick tie at, you know, at the end of the year. Um, like it's always going to go to the powers, right? It's going to go to Spain and France and the UK and the US. I don't, I actually don't know. Maybe it'll just be in Madrid. Do you guys know? No. If there's plans to move it around or if it lives there. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. In any case, like, you know, I kind of like that everything is in a week, you know, it's, it makes it more digestible. Like a lot of the time with the old Davis cup, I would just miss, miss that it was happening, you know, yeah. cause it would just happen on some random weekend and the time zones are weird. And, um, with this one, it was like, Oh, it was a lot of action all at once. So. Mm. Yeah. A lot. Um, I was sort of bought into this, like the storied Davis cup. Um, it has such a history like hundred, a hundred years, maybe or something. Wow. Uh, or maybe, maybe not that long, but, it seems like, you know, a lot of people have a lot um a lot of affection for the Davis Cup and and it being, you know, throughout the year and taking a, a long time, five ties over three days, home um you know, home and away matches. Um but you know, I just feel like, yeah, okay, it's it's just a tennis um a tennis tournament for nations, you know, to say that to have bragging rights over my country, this country is, is the winner over the other countries. And yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and, and just the, you know, like, so to condense it into this format now where it's like a, a tournament. Yeah. It doesn't, I agree. Just if it, if we have to do it, um, it is kind of like a fun way to, to do it, you can understand it as in it in that sort of building up to a final. What's your take, Alex? How do you feel about the new Davis Cup? I like it. I have. Well, I mean, I haven't really seen much of the old traditional format, um, and I I do get that the loss of the home and away ties is a bit of a loss. But I much prefer it all happening in once. So you have you there's tension building. You can see the group stages happening, the round robins happening, and you, and you kind of follow the progress of everyone moving forward throughout the tournament a lot more than I can't. I, I, I forget when it's on, like you said, and I forget to keep track of who's what scores happened in the latest round robin situation or whatever. I just it just makes it a lot more, a lot more. There's a lot more clarity around the tournament for me when it's all happening uh, in as in one place during one week. But I do the loss of the crowd enthusiasm from going to you know a home a home countries going to play someone in the home country. The crowd there is a lot different to the crowd in this new format in Madrid, where when Spain aren't playing, the stadium's basically empty. And it sounds like yep. uh, every commentator and every journalist has been told to say how good the atmosphere is because every time they're talking about it, they're like, oh, my God, the atmosphere in here is incredible. And then they show the crowd and there's like two people on their phone not even watching. It's like <laughs> someone has told you to say it's awesome because you're really overdoing it. Every I've just noticed throughout the week every commentator was like in every gap they'd be saying how good the atmosphere is and all the reviews were like how good it is. But it really feels like someone's told them to say that. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's weird. Like it, you know, the tennis podcast is sponsored by the Davis Cup, and they had that contest where we uh, almost won a trip to, <laughs> to, yeah. to to fly to Madrid and watch it. In which case, I think our opinion would be totally different, admittedly. Um, but yeah, I mean, they keep making a thing of like, oh, you know, we have journalistic integrity. We'll we'll tell you what we think. And every day I look at the, you know, I haven't listened to all of their daily podcasts this week, but it seems like they're really into it for the most part. And I don't know. I mean, there have been some really great moments, I think. Um, so if you're watching it closely, I, I think there's been a lot to dig into. Like, like doubles has really taken the center stage and, you know, what, so they've broken tradition with the format in all these ways, but you know, even just a tie, like the ties used to be five matches and doubles was, was in the middle, right? So it'd be two singles. Then on the middle Saturday, there'd just be one doubles match, which was really strange. Um, everything's five sets. And then they would play the fourth and fifth rubbers um, on the final day. I don't know if I mixed up my tie, my ties and my rubbers. It's like, you know, you can tell the shit is a hundred years old. Um, so anyway, in the new ties, in a new, in a new match between two countries, they do it in one day and it's two singles matches back to back and then, a, and then a doubles tie break. Um, and what's good about this, I think like it's kind of just materialized this way is I think because of the way the singles, the singles are just like, there's a pretty good chance that it'll go to the doubles and in the group stage, they basically have to play doubles because it counts for points. Um, now we had like, there's a controversy, this mini controversy emerged because um, uh, Canada pulled out of doubles um, against, um, who did they pull out against? They were playing the US and they just forfeited because they knew they had already advanced and they didn't want to like spend any extra energy unnecessarily. And then like the thing that sucked about it is that because they forfeited, the US got these extra points, which could have helped them get into the next round, though that didn't didn't happen. Um, and then a uh, similar thing happened with Australia. They played, I guess, one game in a dead rubber and then just pulled out, which is, that just sucks for, that seems like even worse for fans, you know, cause it's like, you're in the stadium. You're like, all right, cool. We get a doubles match. And then they play one game and stop. Like, yeah, that sucks. That's no good. No good. Yeah. Um, Australia said that John Pierce was injured in that match, uh, but, um, I, it could have been just like an excuse. He, he's felt something in his elbow and that's it. I mean, of course, it's getting really late in these matches as well. They're playing into the early hours of the morning, so you can, you can kind of understand. And then they have to play a new um, tie the next day, so they want to rest. Yeah, um, there was one that finished at four in the morning the other day, which is everyone was blowing up about and no one was happy about. <laughs> Yeah, um, right. That was another thing that happened this week that just blew my mind because um, it was, you know, these matches are in Europe and right now that's like, they basically start late at night here and go through the night. And then I don't know what day it was, but I woke up and turned on the TV and the US was still playing uh, at four in the morning, like in, in Madrid, which is pretty insane. I mean, I, I didn't hear anybody really make a big deal out of it. And it was like one of these stories that like, you know, yeah, like tennis podcast just overlooked it, but it seems like, uh, or kind of a big deal. I don't know. I would have been pissed, Yeah, definitely. but I, I like sleeping. So yeah, there's definitely some kinks to iron out, but overall I'm, I'm for it. I like it. 
Uh, I think they just need to sort out the scheduling. Maybe they need more stadiums so they can do more concurrent matches at the same time. Whatever. I don't know. Uh, there's kinks. Right. Yeah. There's kinks, but but overall, I'm into the week long one place. Let's let's fight it out, kind of tournament style. Yeah, I, right. I can dig that. I can dig that. But why do we have the ATP Cup as well now as the Davis Cup? Yeah. And it's six weeks later. Like in six weeks, we'll be doing the ATP Cup, and it's basically the same format. Yeah, like, that's dumb. You know, and we lost um, tournaments like, to do that. We lost um, Sydney two fifty and the Brisbane two fifty, which and the Hopman Cup, which like was one was the only really noteworthy mixed event. Like men, women, men and women play, competing in the same event, mixed doubles. Um, and like people sleep slept on the Hopman Cup because I mean it was an exhibition; it didn't count for anything. Um, it was just kind of like one of these warm ups. But I like once I discovered it, I was like, man, this is a great event. And um, and I just think tennis is so much stronger when you have the men and women playing together. Like you know, you had what was it like? Was the Fed Cup? Um, the WTA Finals were the same week as the Paris Masters, and that was just like. She's like, what are they doing? You know, like the women should have a finals event that gets the spotlight. And then the men are like playing around the world, like one of the bigger tournaments of the year. It just didn't make any sense to me. You know, like there really should be one governing body. The, the whole structure of tennis is kind of. Yeah, wacky. it's dumb. Like it's the same court, same equipment, same umpires. There's actually no reason to separate the genders. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, like separate them for the matches. Um, but then like they can share the same court and the same tournament and then play mixed doubles together. More of that because like, that's where we actually get to see the equality. Yeah. It's awesome. And then, you know, right. And you just see like they can actually, they can share a court and they're like the play is competitive. Uh, um, yeah. I, I mean, you know I'm not a big doubles guy, but... Uh, and, um, but I think Davis cup has been great for doubles. So like we were saying before, you know, it just seems like there've been a lot of decisive doubles matches and you also, you're getting some like top singles players playing doubles, like Novak Djokovic, you know, playing doubles had three match points, um, in their, in their tie three, you know, tie clinching points and they couldn't, they couldn't get it done. And, uh, you know, they ultimately were beat by Russia um, so you, we've, there's been a bunch of drama like that where like the doubles match has gone into the third set tie break and you have the, you know, like Rafa Nadal is playing a, a third set tie break in doubles. Like that's pretty, pretty, you know, great stuff to watch as a fan. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's great for the doubles specialists to get a bit of the spotlight because, um, yeah. you know, there's a reason they're doubles specialists and they, they play usually better doubles than the singles players can, can do. So um, you get these players like Kravitz and Mies for Germany who aren't really known outside the, you know, the tennis people who are really interested in tennis, the fans. Although they did win the French Open and went to the Tour Finals this year, but it's just not that big. Doubles isn't that big generally. But here's an opportunity to get the lesser players who do have a skill um, and they know how to play doubles tennis. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fun. I mean, like I was, I was just earlier today watching. You know, it was Great Britain and Spain, and they went to that final doubles match, and it was you know Neil Skupski <laughs> and Jamie Murray yeah. against uh, against Rafa and Feli Lopez. You know, so you have these like, <laughs> like these like, you know, 
beautiful model, like, you know, uh, legends of the sport, <laughs> you know, going against, I mean, Jamie Murray is mostly known as the brother of a legend of the sport. He's a lesser Murray. He's the, the, he's the lesser the Murray. Yeah, let's not. The... <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Skupski, I mean, you know, I mean, he just has, he has like a name that, you know, like he, Neil Skupski could never be Roger Federer. I think just based on his name alone, you know, you ever, you ever know. feel that way? I think it's actually got, got a, got a bit of a ring to it. Got a bit of star quality. It's got a bit of a star quality to that name. I reckon. <laughs> you know, I feel like it's just like, it's like the name of a guy who's like on, you know, your friend, your mate's bowling team or something. You know, I just, <laughs> like, I don't, I just don't see it as be, but he could be the hero in this kind of environment. Of course, Rafa and Feli won. Uh, that was a very Luciana. good match, though. It was a great match, yeah. And it's like it's like a match like that. I watch it and I think, like, oh, I could, you know, doubles is pretty great at times. It's just I don't I don't spend the time with it. I think you know part of it's that I'm less attached. You know, like I don't, uh, you know, I never watch Skupski and Murray play, so I don't really have a feeling about whether or not I want them to win. Um, and yeah, and you just get these strange matchups too, like, cause Andy Murray couldn't go today. So you had, um, Dan Evans playing against Rafa, which like, actually, like I turned that one on and I was like, Dan Evans is really dialed in today. Like he played really strong early and it kind of had that feeling of like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe he could like steal a set and who knows. Um, and then, you know, at some point like Rafa won, like eight games in a row and that was over. Um, but, you know, it's Rafa. Hey, going back to Neil Skupski, uh, you know, he, uh, he is the chocolate, the chocolate bubka of the Skupskis. Oh, there's another Skupski. Yeah, Ken Skupski is his um, older brother who is also a doubles player and sometimes ah. Skupski and Skupski play in doubles together. <laughs> <laughs> have Skupski and Skupski played Murray and Murray very often? Um, I don't believe so. Um, they may have at some point in their career. More likely to have played against Brian and Brian. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe in their post-retirement days they can go on an exhibition tour. You know, just just brothers doubles. Uh, we were <laughs> we were speculating over chat that you know once Rafa and Roger are retired. I mean, look at the money Roger is pulling in to play against uh, Sasha Zverev. Not that Sasha Zverev is scrub, but really nobody is paying that much money just to see Sasha Zverev, right? It's about Federer. Federer and Nadal, one day, they will be retired. And this is going to be like three or four years No, they won't. They just play forever. They're going to – you're right. I'm sorry I said that. It was sacrilegious of me. Even even this alternate reality that their bodies broke down and they had to stop playing tennis – they, they they would just go on tour uh, and people would pay hundreds of dollars to see them like for years, you know, even if they're, they're in their forties and they're not quite the level they used to be, they could just bank millions and millions of dollars. I mean, not that they'd really need it, but you know, you could see Federer's pulling that money in and he's trying to fix AIDS in Africa or whatever. And they could, know. but you know, often these sports stars, they just go into business you see it with um, a lot of the yeah. basketball players. They like get a company yeah. and like make money the normal way with um, business and investment and exploitation of labor. 
Yeah, I was, you know, I was thinking earlier today, I was like, which of the big three do you think is going to just let go? You know, like, like let go of their fitness, get kind of fat. Um, <laughs> like, I feel like this, this happens sometimes. I reckon you know, Djokovic like, is going to be the healthiest of the three and also like probably have the most interesting career post tennis. I agree with that completely. Yeah, he, he will not let go of his fitness ever. Um, and I have a hard time seeing Rafa do it also. Like, I think Rafa is just so driven, um, you know, and he'll just like live like kind of like an outdoorsy, like beach lifestyle, you know, be like, a, you know, like on his, on his fishing yacht, you know, I can see him doing some f- rock climbing. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, they have the singlet, so he gets to, this is Oh yeah. So. Yeah. You gotta show, gotta show those guns. So I don't know, maybe like, maybe Federer is the guy, you know, he's got the four kids, you know, I, I could see him like kind of puffing up, you know, just being like, all right, I've got, I've had enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, he'll show up at these, at like the Wimbledon final when, you know, Pass is going for his like fifth Wimbledon championship in 2030. And, you know, like Roger will be there, like, you know, kind of bloated wearing a top hat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just, just imagining, you know, imagining a possible future. Out of the three, um, he's the one for sure. He's the one out of the three. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So what else is going on? Um, oh, do you want, do you want to address the Simona Halep thing from last? Um, oh yeah, that's right. I feel like I'm, I'm actually, yeah. Like I just, um, I felt bad about it this because, um, we got like, you know, we got really deep into this opinionating about how, you know, like people were overreacting to Darren Cahill's act, like behavior towards Simona on the court. And like our setup was completely wrong. Like I had read an article about it and it just, for some, for whatever reason, I thought that the article suggested that he had come out after she dropped the first set and then she won the second set after his pep talk. But it was that was totally wrong. It was like the third set, and she had dropped three games late in the set. And so it was really like a much bigger moment in the match. Um, I actually don't think it, it – like it didn't really affect my opinion, but I, I do think it's important to get it right. You know, it's like <laughs> I just feel a little embarrassed. I was like, oh, man, we just recorded one of our best episodes, and like the whole premise of the opening bit was off. <laughs> So I don't know. Did you guys feel like it changed the way you thought, the way you felt about what happened? Not really. Um, um, I, what was the correction that you that it was in the wrong place that we thought it was in a different area? Yeah, yeah. It was just like it was a more pivotal time in the match. Mm. Later in the match. Um doesn't change my opinion that he was doing the coach role and and it didn't overstep too much from my view I just don't think yeah I don't know I'm, I'm what do you think about it Matt well I was talking to my housemate Matt Ma who listened to that episode and he was kind of saying like I think his basic point was like hey come on it's it's sport. There's no reason to talk. Like, there's no reason to call someone a disgrace. Like disgrace is pretty 
hardcore. Um, don't use that language, you know. Uh, just don't use it, like, because it's not um, it's not nice. And I was like, yeah, it's not nice. It is sport. Um, yeah, but maybe there's there's consent there from Simona that her coach can talk to him to her like that. But yeah, I think I think I've sort of moderated my position to be like it was unnecessary. It's and it wasn't the nicest way to talk to her. Yeah, I guess yeah. my position is that I just don't. I can't, from this point of view, can't read into their relationship enough to dive into whether that use of that word in that moment was appropriate or not. I think it's it's probably fine in the context of their relationship and I don't feel like I have any authority or position to say either way, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's just funny because this is like, this is the world we live in where everything is being recorded and we, like, one word can change the entire feeling or meaning of a situation and then also, like, explode into this controversy that, you know, a week later nobody was talking about. Like, I don't think there was any follow-up really. Like, it just kind of, you know, people got upset about this thing and was it really worth it? And this is, you know, like, uh, I mean to bring up the tennis podcast for the third time uh, in this episode, like they are doing daily episodes a lot now. And I love it. Cause it's just like, you know, they're my favorites. I admire what they're doing. I think they got great personalities. They got great perspectives, but there's that element of like, they're digging in every day to such a degree that it starts to get a little fatiguing. And, you know, I felt like that with like politics, you know, it's like, if you just pay attention to politics every day, like you're going to lose your mind. Like you, you just never, you, you have no perspective anymore. Um, it's really important to kind of step away sometimes. And like, yeah, the, the context, like whether or not Simona responded positively to Darren Cahill's coaching is maybe besides the point. It's like, for me, the bigger issue is just that why are we parsing one word so finely, you know, like, I mean, I just think maybe he needed to use that kind of sharp language just to get her attention. You know, like if, if Cahill came out and was like, uh, Simona, you know, um, it's, uh, you're really not playing very well. Um, I don't want, I don't want to hurt you, but you know, it's just, hasn't been the best. Um, you know, like she's just not paying attention, you know? I mean, she gets so focused and like she, you could tell like just watching her that she's like replaying what happened in her mind over and over again. And so maybe that's like kind of their thing. Like he needs to like really be sharp. Yeah. Simona, you were a disgrace. You were a disgrace. Like, wake up, you know, like, and that changes the way she behaves. So, um, anyway. Sure, that was my well, argument back to Matt. Then he, he was like, um, but it's not, she's not a disgrace. Like, I just, yes, I, I think. She wasn't a disgrace. Like, it's not a disgrace to play, to not be playing your best tennis uh, on, totally. on the court. And I think that's where, yeah, sure, we, we like, understand it maybe in a tactical way or in, in the relationship between player and coach. But I think, yeah, like to a lot of, I, I guess I have sympathy for people looking at that and going, it's not fair that you would say that to somebody who's out, you know, who's out there trying, like it's not very nice. Um, yeah. And then there's, there's the role model aspect too, right? It's like, Oh, well, yeah. like, cause people, people idealize this relationship. Like, Cahill is one of the best coaches. He's really been able to connect with this person who was really having a hard time, like harnessing her talent. And they just seem to really admire and respect one another. And then like, it's like, Oh, well he's using language. That's pretty negative. You know, when I would tell non tennis fans or like not 
close tennis fans about the situation. They're like, oh, a disgrace. You know, like it was like that word, that was the word. And it just, yeah, really triggered people. Mm. And sports is supposed to be fun. I guess that's the role, the role model thing. Again, you want kids out there to be like not beating up on themselves, thinking that they're mm. a disgrace for not concentrating on the court. You want them to be like, be able to roll with the punches and, you know, shake hands at the end and, and have a laugh about it. Yeah. What kind of coach would, what kind of coach works for you, Matt? I've only ever, what do you need to get, to get the best out of your performance? I've only ever had one coach that Alex and I shared, Reynaldo Hidalgo, who was a doubles player ranked 500 in the world at one point. Um, wow. Yeah. He plays for university of technology. He had points. He, he plays for UTS um, now. He's still a decent player. He he was a pretty relaxed coach. I didn't, he didn't work for. I mean, good, good, good coach in a lot of ways. Gave me a lot of technique, but then I think a bit too light on. Um, what I try to do with it because I feed Alex some. Ball, I'm starting to feed Alex some balls and help him prepare for matches. Is mm. like just try and be as positive as possible, like pick up on a few, a few things that he's doing, but then also I was, you know, like just celebrate the good moments. Alex, that was a great shot. Oh, you're playing really well. You're hitting some good balls, so, you know, whatever. Yeah. Positivity. But um, I think that how, does that, how does that work? How does that work for you, Alex? You, you need a little positivity, a little pumping up. I think in that, like we did, we're talking about hitting a basket of balls on a court when there's no one on the other side trying to beat you, then in that context, yeah, positive, it feels really good. You try and, you know, another ball's coming that you can try and fix that thing you just did and it's all good. But I think uh, in the context of a match where you're going into a third set, I, I'd be happy for someone to be fully as aggressive as they want it to be, to me. Yeah, yeah, interesting. See, that's the thing. I think it's all about personalities and what you respond to. Like, I don't actually know... Cause I mean, in, in tennis, I have never had a coach. Right. And, um, in my career as a, as a amateur runner, I've had an AI coach <laughs> and like, and that really, and it really worked for me. And it was more, I think it was for me, it was more like the technical detail and like really understanding like why I'm doing certain things like, and, and like being in like setting targets and like, like, you know, having, having this structure in place that kind of had me oriented towards like getting better in these ways. Like, okay, you know, if you do this type of interval training and these kinds of long runs and you kind of mix it up in this way and you do some hill repeats, you're going to be stronger at the end. And I mean, I didn't have a human being telling me that, but I kind of feel like maybe that's the sort of, you know, coaching that would work for me. You know, it's just like kind of technical and like focus on improving myself. Um, but you know, but then again, like, tennis is uh it's adversarial you're playing against somebody else you got to deal with that and that's part of why i'm bad at sports i think is <laughs> i just don't deal well with that so but maybe i just never had the right coach you know maybe i need to find somebody who pushes my buttons gets me fired up because i like to compete it's just hard for me to harness it without like becoming a monster <laughs> uh, <laughs> which uh you guys will find out when we when we have our Tennis tragic grand slam this January. Yeah, that's right. Bring out the monster. I'm ready for it. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> going going five sets. I'm gonna have to bring extra rackets just you know for the smashing. <laughs> for the smashing, yeah, not for the string. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I might um be dishing out the code violations then. 
All so right. Now I'm going to umpire. You do it. I'm going to umpire between you two. Are you not playing these days, Matt? Um, yeah, working on my knee injury and yeah. um, doing some light hitting, which is yeah, which is fine for me for now. I just I can see like I got a new physio who was like, I believe in you, um, and we can get you playing um, eventually, maybe in six to twelve months. So yeah. um, that's good. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, I can see some light at the end of the tunnel, and I'll just do what I need to do and do some light hitting with Alex and stuff between now and then. Great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's physically demanding singles yeah. tennis. Oh, I mean, the stress on your knees and your ankles and oh, your whole your body back and your shoulders, you know, like I've only, I've played maybe what, like seven or eight matches this year. Uh, and I, half of them, I hurt myself, you know, oh, really? I, I'm like, yeah, like my shoulder, my back, like I've just repeatedly something kind of goes off and, you know, and I'm stretching and I'm like at a really good level of fitness in general. I'm not playing. I think I'm not playing enough or not, you know, like maybe if I was practicing regularly, I would build up the right muscles, but, um, it's just, yeah, it's just a physically demanding sport. And, um, you know, when I feel good on the tennis court, it's like a totally different thing. As soon as, you know, I hurt my shoulder serving in this one match with, that I should have won against a guy in Oz Tennis Leagues uh, last year. And it just, at that point, it was just over. Like, I, I just was like, basically just, you know, lobbing the ball in on serves just to start the point. And, and um, despite the fact that this this guy was blind in one eye, he's still oh, shit. <laughs> Good effort from that guy. Like that being blind in one <laughs> yes, eye. That, that's, that's right. That really that really um, plays with your depth perception. You need to have both yeah. both eyes to be able to see the, the where the depth of the ball is. So kind of been easy for him. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think I'm going to be lucky to get some games against Alex this summer, but we'll. We'll see. I, I actually, cause I'm, I got really behind on my league. So I have like three matches I'm trying to schedule this week. So just going to get back into it. Yeah. Get some, get some matches under your belt. Well, um, yeah. the tennis tragedy grand slam coming to podcast <laughs> listeners in January. <laughs> yeah, that's and right. We'll have all the match reports here on the tennis tragic podcast. That's right. Yeah. Maybe we'll even do a dramatic reenactment of, uh, of the, of the trash talking. <laughs> and the post-match interviews yeah yeah maybe we'll have some video of it too <laughs> yeah sweet we'll we'll put, post some instagram stories hey um i'm maybe now's a good time for an ad break aussie courts the synthetic grass specialists and experts with inlaid limes we are absolutely maintenance free with all weather surfaces at competitive prices aussie courts advantage receiver Level 36 MLC Center, Sydney 2000. Telephone 241-305. Okay, we're back. Um, so what else has been going on? I mean, uh, Fed Cup, we haven't really dug into Fed Cup. Um, Australia hadn't won a Fed Cup in something like 75 years. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't that long. It was a long <laughs> it time. It was a long time, yeah. And, uh, and they had an opportunity to win at home. And I guess, it, you know, it was like dramatic for all these reasons, like – you know, Ash Barty, number one in the world, had just won the WTA finals, like really had an incredible year, had a chance to to win it at home. Um, you know, you had Sam Stozer out there, who's I think been part of, I don't know how many ties, like 15 
not not just ties. I mean, uh, like Fed Cup teams. She's she's been on the Fed Cup team since you know we were all in our cradle um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the tennis tragic cradle. <laughs> Two thousand two. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so yeah, that was it. Was a really dramatic Fed Cup. I mean, the first day was a total bust. That both matches were runaway like routes, you know, bagels galore. And then on the second day, it got dramatic, and um, and it ended up the case that uh, the Kiki Mladenovic basically took the thing home for France. I mean, she was just in boss mode. And uh, and ended up beating Ash Barty in a in a third set tiebreak in their singles match, and then basically was um, you know her uh, she had just won the WTA finals uh, in doubles mm. um, with um, who was her partner the Hungarian Babush Tamea Babush, and uh, so um, so she had to play with a French partner. Who was she playing with? Was she playing with uh, Garcia? Oh, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and they've won Grand Slams together before. Um, so, you know, they had a, I think they had a bit of an edge there and ended up winning the doubles. And uh, Kiki is just like, I think she's just wonderfully emotional. I, I, I like Kiki a lot. And um, so even though I was rooting for my adopted country, uh, didn't, didn't happen, wasn't meant to be. Yeah, it felt like the pressure maybe got a bit too much for Bati on that one. Because she mm. lost her singles one and 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 the doubles, right? Like she was part of both yeah. of the losing rubbers. Yeah. Yep, that's right. After I think she had she hadn't lost a match in Fed Cup in ages. You know, like she was she was like a really dominant Fed Cup player this year. She'd also um, just so, won like two tournaments in a row. She'd won the tour finals. Yeah. And she'd won another tournament before that and secured the year end number one. And then won her first match in Fed Cup six love six love. Um, so yeah, it was a an almighty effort, I guess, from France to do that. Yeah. Do you guys know if they're like, are they going to do the same thing with the Fed Cup that happened to the Davis Cup, like move it to a single event, or are they still? I don't know, but it's a different ruling body, a governing body. I mean, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily. I'll have to look that up. I kind of got the impression that they were, that they were going to change it and do, do something a little different. Um, which also, you know, similar, I mean, I guess people care a little less about the fed cup history because they just don't follow the women as closely, but it's, you know, it's the same. It's basically the Davis cup format. Um, uh, although I guess they were, uh, they had the finals last. I, I, I kind of appreciated that. Like the fed cup, since it was three sets, they would just do it over two days. Like Davis Cup with the five sets, as much as I like five set tennis, it was like it just something about it was weird with the two singles and the doubles in the middle and the two at the end. Like with this, it was also the doubles would finish, right? They would only play the doubles if it was absolutely necessary. And then it just has this extra drama. So I don't know, this te- team tennis stuff, it's, it's all crazy now. You know, um, uh, Nick Kyrgios was like, well, I just, I think I was just, I was suckered in by some clickbait. I, there was some like article headline that was like, Nick Kyrgios, tennis needs to switch to team formats or it will die as a sport. You know, something like really over the top. It's like fucking one of these fucks, you know, Murdoch rags. 
Um, and, and if you actually read it, it was like, you know, it was just curious basically being, you know, talking about how he likes the team format and how, you know, kid, like people watch a lot of team sports. So it might be easier for people to kind of get into team sports through kind of team based tennis. And, um, I don't know guys, I was thinking like we, I don't know how much more of it I would necessarily want, but it's already too much. I think you think there's too much team tennis. You're not yeah. into it. Uh, if that guy wants more team sports, go play basketball, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I think Nick Kyrgios should just go play basketball. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, um, it's, yeah, there's there's, a, there's enough. It should be one marquee one or a couple, but it doesn't – there's what? There's three now and then people want more or something? No, no. Tennis is an individual sport. There's the good thing – the team the team tournaments are good. They, they spice it up and – give a bit of interest something different but fundamentally it's not what it's not what it is and trying to make tennis a team sport it's just feels awkward it just feels forced sometimes it it doesn't really work in my opinion completely yeah but i wonder if that's just because of the way the team tournaments work like they're always nation-based you know, mm-hmm. which just creates these weird dynamics because they're, oh, you know, God, like, I like, hate like in Leighton, Leighton Hewitt and the Australian team talking about Aussie spirit and wearing the green and gold and stuff. It drives me crazy. Yeah. That's the thing. Like what if we had like team competitions that were more like other team sports where it's like, ah, oh, there's an own, there's a, they're like attached to a city and they're owned by some group. And they can sign players. You know, this is what uh, World Team Tennis is like. Have you guys ever watched World Team Tennis? I've heard about it. I haven't really watched any. So um, I guess I, I probably will butcher the history, but I think it was created in like the 60s. I think it was a Billie Jean King driven thing. And it was like a way to kind of, you know, try to make tennis a little bit more, you know, approachable, um, you know, a little bit more fun, family fun kind of American thing. I think it used to be a bigger deal and somehow it still exists. And, Austin had a team for two years, the Austin Aces, two or three years. And I got to go to one match. And during that match, it was wild because, you know, I was like already like getting kind of deep into my tennis fandom. But that was the first match I ever saw Alina Svitolina play. Um, you know, and it's like basically like the Austin matches were in this like in like the college gym at University of Texas. So it was like pretty intimate and like kind of crappy. And um you know, there was uh, there was this Russian male player I remember who was on the team, uh, Gabashvili, uh, Tamar Tamar Gabashvili, I think his name was, and I just like instantly like took to both of them because they were on the Austin team. You know, like it's the dumbest thing, but it was just like because they played for my city for no other reason. I was like, these are my people now. Like I'm gonna just root for these two for you know for the immediate future, and. Um, so I, I think it's just like a way for people to get attached. You know, it's like if all you have is the player, sometimes that's not not enough for people. You know, you turn on a random tennis match and it's like, oh, here's Dan Evans playing Feliciano Lopez. Like, well, I guess I'll root for the scrappy hood rat. Or maybe I like the guy who's the man model, you know? <laughs> scrappy <laughs> like, hood rat. Wow. <laughs> that's totally what Dan Evans is, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Scrappy Hood Rat. Yeah. Where's he from? Is he from the West End of London or something? He's probably from a posh family, to be honest. (laughs) 
I don't I, know. I think he's, I imagine he's like, he grew up in a pub. <laughs> Man, Manchester city or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, but that's just the vibe, <laughs> you know, and he had like a drug, you know, he got suspended for drug use and, you know, I don't know. He just looks like one of these guys who like, you know, destroys his life, you know, um, gambling like you know like he's gonna get banned from the sport for gambling on his own matches or something <laughs> just for the record think, out there i'm pro dan evans i like dan evans <laughs> we don't all hate dan evans on this podcast <laughs> I, I i actually kind of like i mean seeing him against rafa i was like of course i want dan evans i mean i want everybody to beat rafa you yeah. know like rafa drives me crazy i think he's amazing but come on um give it a rest i was actually i was watching rafa today and I was like, do you think he practices his like fist pumps? Cause they're so, they're so like orchestrated, you know, like does this like running leap and, you know, and then the one fist goes out and, you know, and he's got the lawnmower move where he like pumps his fist down towards the ground. Yeah, up and like, down. That like, yeah, that one's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he does um, the double he, lawnmower, I love it. I think he just practices in front of the mirror at home. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Like he gets out of bed and he, you know, he puts on his shirt and he like, you know, has to like <laughs> fix it in all of these different locations. And then he like gets in front of the mirror and he just gives himself a few fist bumps to get, to get the day going. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what were we talking about um, before that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Before I went way off the rails, um, we we're talking about, let's see, let's Team rewind. Tennis. Team tennis. Yeah. Like, right. So that it should be city based, um, or like yeah. organization based that we can create ourselves rather than um, re um, than than using the nation states. I just think trying yeah. to make trying to make an individual sport a team sport is is just it's just silly. I mean, it's just trying to make it into something it's not. Uh, if you want to draw more people in, I feel like maybe you need to look at other aspects of it. Um, Different yeah. camera, different camera angles, or something. Get you draw you closer in, draw out the action a bit more. I don't know. I don't know what, but I think trying to make uh, an individual sport into a team based thing to draw people in is is looking in the wrong place for accessibility. Yeah, I hear yeah. Al, but in like also like when you think about it, it is already a team sport because the players have a team around them. Yeah, yeah, come on. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I, well, on. but that's that's it's not the a team of, of players. It's not a team of players, you know what I mean? It's a different that's a completely different thing. <laughs> yeah, but but see, but I think but that for me getting really deep into tennis, like part of it, one of the things that happened along the way for me was like reading the Agassi autobiography and and like really getting that insight into how important his team members were. And I just started to notice that more, like when I was watching and people were talking about the coaching relationships and, and the partners and yeah, you know, like but you can all say that, that about any sport, like fighting, they've got coaches, yes. you know, nutrition sure. coach, any single individual sure. sport in the world has a team of coaches yes. and a team of trainers. Right. Like it's still an individual sport. Yeah. 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 I totally get your point, Alex. I just think that like, I don't know. I just think like, I think tennis benefits when they play with format. And the thing about team sports, it's not just that, or the team competitions, even though they're, maybe they feel a little forced to you, but it's just like, I think people like to see the camaraderie on the court, you know, like, like I think um, your Davis cup is really kind of shit in the bed aesthetically. Like the court looks like crap. 
you know, they got this ugly green color and then the teams are all like up in the stands. I mean, they're not like way up in the stands, but they're just kind of like off to the side. Whereas like labor cup, labor cup, they really got the look right. And everybody, they're all like hanging out on like these couches, like right on the court. And they like, they convene and you've got the players talking to one each other, to one another about strategy. Like I thought that was just way better. And yeah, I don't know. I think, like I like the cerebral one-on-one gladiator combat shit, but you know, I think it's just, it's nice to have that break to have a different dynamic, you know, have more people involved. So I don't know. I think like if you had team, if you had like a league, see, I also think there's too many singles events, you know, I think it's too much of the, too much of the calendar. Um, there's too many like lower level events that, you know, nobody cares about, um, you know, you watch some 250 and, you know, in like suburban Austria and there's 30 people in the crowd. It's like, how is, that's not helping the sport. Like, it seems to me like you could carve a month and a half out of the schedule somewhere and have like the team, like have it be the team season. And then like, you know, you have these teams that are like, there's a draft and like, you know, players are getting paid salaries and you could have trades and it just, I just think the whole dynamic could be really different. I don't know. Yeah, it's not, it's not it's not a bad idea. I know, like, just on the bringing the coach, like, it obviously team events bring the coaching um, into play a bit more, and I think that's what um, maybe what we like sometimes because um, you have um, you get to see more of the tactics. But I know that Alex Dimonor said because you know they he plays the next gen he's played the last two next gen tournaments and they they do allow a bit of coaching in that he said he doesn't actually want that to come to the main tour because yeah for reasons like you guys have said it's the gladiatorial battle that you can't go to a coach you just have to you know use your own mental fortitude and what you've learned in your training to try and figure out a way how to win. Um, yeah, and, and so that's his his opinion. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to lose that. You know, I just think, I think the variety is good, ultimately. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't want it to just be one thing. I like that it changes. You know, I like that there's just occasionally tournaments with different formats. Like, I, I would love to see the, like, the, um, the Fast Four format from the Next Gen Finals, like, applied in a couple of ATP main tour events, just to mix it up. Like I, now the thing about fast forward that I don't like is the, is the ad, um, is the no ad scoring. I don't mm. like that. No. Well, welcome I to like, doubles all the time. Yeah, I know. I, I don't like it. I think there's something really wrong about it. Like, it's like, if you get out to a lead, you have like an extra, you know, game point. It, I don't just, you don't ever get that. Like really like where a game suddenly feels really pivotal and there's like this back and forth, you know? Um, I think it just takes a certain element out of the sport, but I like the, I like having a best of five to four games, like kind of structure. I kind of dig that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I just wonder about what the goal of all these changes are. Is it to draw more people in or is it to just try to like other, are the existing fan base trying to, are they getting bored and they want, that they want to see some change ups or like what is pushing the different format, the constant urge for messing with the formats. I'm just, what, yeah, I don't, I don't understand what that's about. Yeah, no, I think it is about growing the sport. I think it's about, 
I think all this stuff, I mean, is just about trying to find ways to engage people who don't care. And I think, I think there's some fear that like once Roger Rafa and Novak retire, that like the sport might enter a bad period, you know, like they're just, they don't, you know, they don't have like, they don't, the tennis just doesn't have the draw of some of the other like major sports. So, but for, surely people have been saying that since tennis was invented, right? Like when Rod Laver was about to retire, people were probably like, "Oh my god, tennis is over now." <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and then and then maybe all throughout history, I think there's been waves like the the Agassi Sampras era when they when they retired, people were like, "Well, there goes tennis." I guess Federer I, took I, over there. I, I think when Sampras retired, people were like, "Thank God, now we can actually get some good <laughs> tennis." Uh, <laughs> and I kind of liked Sampras, but man, the dude was boring. And, yeah, uh, have you seen that exhibition match with um, Sampras and Agassi where Agassi says he call, he accuses um, Sampras of being a cheapskate and never buying a round of drinks for anybody? <laughs> no, I never saw that. And then he like he like he reaches into his pockets and pulls his pockets out. And he's like, oh, no, no, I don't have any money. Uh-huh. And then, oh, and then Sampras, and like, it was really embarrassing because, like, and then Sampras is like, you're getting personal now with me. And this was supposed to be wow. a fun exhibition match. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess um, Poor- yeah, Sampras had that Poor- um, <laughs> uh, reputation of being a bit of a stick in the mud. Or- yeah, I think he is kind of... I, you know, I get the impression he's kind of shy, you know, like he, he stopped going to events after he retired, like just doesn't, didn't like the limelight at all. Mm. Just happened to be better than everybody else <laughs> for a long period of time, you know? Yeah. I just, um, I just, with regards to all the changes, I just personally feel like people need to stop panicking about the future of the sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's going to be fine. People, the next generation is going to come up in a couple of years. People will forget that there was any worry about it dipping and it like, we just don't need to change the sport out of panic in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know that it, yeah, I guess I was saying that maybe there is some panic in there, but I think it's good to make sure you're refreshing. You know, I think you can be too attached to tradition, you know, like the Davis cup, like as much, like if you are a core tennis fan, you know, like maybe the Davis Cup means something to you and you really care about it and you're upset that the tradition got broken or whatever. But like, man, that format was not growing the sport. It yeah, didn't no, make whole, the sport yeah. bigger. I agree know? with that one. Yeah, I, so, I kind of agree too. Like it mattered to like, it mattered to Australia, I think, some of the hardcore Australian patriots in the tennis world yeah. because they have a nostalgia for it and a long tradition. But for most of the world and maybe a few of the other countries that have... Davis Cup history, but yeah, the majority of people are there in tennis fans. Who cares? Yeah, it's yeah, good. Yeah. Um, well, I guess none of us are really like super hardcore traditionalists. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's also just, yeah, I just like a little wrinkle, a little spice. Mm. You know, yeah. Kind of change it out. No, that's good. But like the Jared PK stuff uh, with the. Um, with the Davis Cup and all, I think it's it's about money and it's about sponsorship and and broadcasting rights and not necessarily yeah. in the interest of the game or people changing it up to make the game more interesting it's just like what how can we package a product to make a quick buck or to make a lot of money um over a few years yeah i mean and that's like that he, that sounds a little cynical to me i mean i think 
I think they're related. I mean, they, they, the strength of the sport is contingent on money. I mean, it is like if you want to attract the best uh, possible athletes to the sport, if you want to have, uh, you know, like Grand Slam events that are like totally packed and people are really passionate about the players, like you have to sell it, you know, it's, it, it comes out like they're kind of intertwined, but I, I do hear that like, yeah, I think like PK, like, I don't know PK and it seems like people are pretty mixed on him and you know, look, he messed with something traditional. So of course people are a little pissed, but it's like, you know, yeah. Was this really because it's the better format? Like, does he really believe it's the better format or is just like, this is just clearly going to be um, the moneymaker. I mean, I'm not even sure about that. Like, it seems like they've had trouble selling tickets to, you know, events when it's not Spain, you know? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Big time. Like Andy Murray put out a call on his Instagram saying, if there's any Britons in Madrid, get in touch because I want you to come. I think they gave out like 900 tickets to people who hit him up on Instagram. <laughs> no shit. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. He was yeah. just like, just come and cheer because we need people. I'll give you tickets. And they gave out, I think he posted that they gave out 900. <laughs> wow. But that's like, again, like it's just like the power, then the powerful countries just get to benefit. You know, that's, I don't know. Like, like, of course, like Britons and Americans, like people from, you know, people from, you know, countries with money, I think, are, or, and people are more likely to have representation at these events. You know, Canadians are like, you know, really good at traveling and supporting their, their team. But, you know, the Georgians, the, uh, the Latvians, you know, someday maybe we'll have an African country in the mix. Well, I, I guess South, so. Af- South, South Africa has been in the mix before and mm. will be again. I mean, what happened to Kevin Anderson? Is he still alive? Yeah. yeah <laughs> I don't think I he's retired. Really off. He? No, I think he just was hurt a lot this year. It's amazing. Married. People get hurt and you just don't, you like, oh, right. I forgot that that guy existed. Yeah. Like Milos Raonic. Like I, I wanted to forget, but he's still there. <laughs> you don't like Raonic? <laughs> no. Do you like Raonic? Oh, I don't not like him. Seems I like- mean, I've called... I, I like to refer to Matt Raonic as the human quaalude. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah not the first motion. time you've heard that joke. That- Sorry, you like a serving motion. Yeah, you're really into serving motions, Alex. I like that. I just I just take notice of him and he's got a good one. He kind of like starts off low and he he he's, he kind of like starts both of his arms off in this circular motion and they get, they get bigger. So it's like a small circular motion, then a bigger one. And then by the third one is when he lets the ball go and throws it up, and that still is like the last third circular motion is the, is the serve. I don't know. It just kind of winds up and, and gets bigger and bigger and then actually serves. It's it's kind of really fluid and nice to watch. Mm. Yeah, you know, I, I tend to like the big guys better live, like Isner, Raonic, um, uh, what's his name, the seven-foot American dude, Riley Opelka. I've seen all of them play at the Aussie. And up close, like they are just beasts. And it's like, it's just like that kind of, you know, like how physicality can really catch your attention when it's up, when you're up close and personal with it. Um, you know, you watch a guy like Diego Schwartzman and he's like, this guy is amazing. Cause it just, he shouldn't be competing physically, but these, the, the giants are like, are also really impressive because normally when you're carrying that much weight, that much mass, like, you, you know, it's hard to have the agility to play a sport at this level. 
Um, so I kind of like watching those guys in person a little bit, but I like them better when they have personality, you know, I mean, Isner has some personality, but he's also a Republican and I just, you know, I don't really, I don't have a lot of tolerance for that anymore. And, um, and, uh, I kind of like Opelka, Opelka, like will show you some fire. Um, but Roundich, I mean, it just, you know, it just doesn't seem like there's a person in there <laughs> like most of the time. So I think I'd like to be a human quailu. Like that sounds very relaxing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if him, you want to, you don't want to have that effect on people. You want to, you want to have the quaaludes, but you don't want to have a quaalude effect on, on everyone you come across. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 Like watching around and but you know, I guess even as an observer, I wish that I was so chill that I could like watch a Milos Raonic match, you know, or a, you know, a uh, Pliskova match and just like Re- soak in the, the quiet, you know, like just. Raonic is just, actually one of the most interesting of, of them for me because he actually serves serving volleys and has a bit of variety mm. and he gets in there. The other serve bots, I actually don't, I'm with you. I don't like the serve bots at all. But out of all of them, surprisingly, Raonic is maybe one of the ones I like, I think. Cause he, yeah, because okay. he's more attacking with with his serve volleys and he uses the serve a bit more to his advantage, I feel like. Is yeah, he, he's got know. a nice smile too, don't you think? Ranich? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. He seems like, you know, he's having a good time. He seems like nice. And I just feel like he looks like a, um, a, a Lego character come to life. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's the hair though. Like he yeah. like puts like a ton of hair gel in his yeah. hair. Yeah. I wonder what it would look like. I think he might have like an afro or something. Or he just like has like some unruly curls or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. But that's the thing, it kinda it like contributes to that feeling. Like his his look he's like very controlled. Like he's just he's just like really tight tightly wound. So I'm sure he's a lovely person. Well, I'm not sure about <laughs> that, but <laughs> It's <laughs> a, a classic thing to say after you just shit on someone. Hey, I'm sure they're a lovely person, though. <laughs> I'm only just talking about how their presence as an entertainment figure affects my life. Yeah, <laughs> <That's all. laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear. Yeah. Um. So, uh, speaking of entertainment figures in the future of the sport. Stefano Tsitsipas won the ATP finals and he beat Roger Federer in the semis. Uh, he won a third set tie break against Dominic Team, who has looked super tough. Um, and you guys, you know, uh, you guys still aren't really on the Steph train, are you? I've, I'm, I come off on and off the Steph train. I was on him a year and a half ago when I first started watching him come up during the clay season, not this year, but last year. Right. And I was yeah. really on board. And then he, and then I got off board when he started getting really big and cringy on social media and just being like cringe town. But then he's now he's stepped back from all social media and is actually focusing on tennis again. And he seems to be less uh, arrogant and less cringy to me and I'm slowly getting a little bit back on board. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, relate a bit to that uh, trajectory as well. I think Alex introduced me to Sitsipas and um, yeah, I thought he was interesting and he definitely has like that kind of Federer style of beautiful game. He comes to the net, he can serve and volley, he can, he's got the one-handed backhand, 
so it's a very attractive brand of tennis. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, also for me, the, this um, uh, social media comments and seeing to, you know, sort of toss his hair around and just be like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty great and I'm pretty interesting and I, and I make, I make videos, I make art videos as well as play tennis and, you know, like I'm going to make probably be one of the greatest tennis players of all time. Um, and just recently he said, maybe it was after he beat Federer or maybe in the lead up to playing him, um, that he wanted to be as loved as Federer is. And I think I feel like that's a strange thing to want, you know, that's, that, yeah. that's still a sticking point for me. Like, why do you want right. to be just so adored? I mean, do you, do you not want to be adored? I used to. Yeah. I guess I, like, I remember, um, a time when I wanted, when I wanted to be a rock star and I wanted okay. to like, you know, be like the Beatles or something. Um, right. Yeah. But so fair enough. Like it's, and it's kind of what life sets us up to do, um, in some ways, like the that dream of success. I mean, the, like the celebrity level of success is a little intense for me, you know, like, I don't think I want that. Um, I mean, I'm not really in a place where that would ever happen for me, but you know, I think, you see, I think in a way he's there's in a way there's an earnestness about him. Like, I feel like he's not, he doesn't, there's not a lot of guile, you know, he's yeah. just really straightforward, like, and kind of like kind of kid-like in a way. He, he's young as well like so yeah that's kind of a normal thing like when i was young i wanted to be a rock star and when he's young he's he, he wants to be um adored like federer but um hopefully with a bit of age he's going to be like actually fame and popularity is not so important. yeah it'll it's interesting because he's also like I don't know. I feel like it's only the young guys who have like the long flowing locks, you know, like, like Federer and Rafa also had like long hair when they were, when they were younger and Agassi and they, they all like, you know, you see them fade a little bit, you see them get a little bit more buttoned up as they get older. I mean, Roger's never been like a huge personality, um, on court, but, uh, like I just, yeah, I don't know. I just, I really respond to Tsitsipas, like everything from the game style to, um, just how he expresses himself. And like, you know, I find him endearing, even though like, you know, like his, his like Instagram art or whatever is kind of shitty. <laughs> you know, like I actually, I posted a picture of him and tagged him uh, at the Australian open last year. Um, I was doing a sequence on, uh, on towel, on players, on, on uh, players toweling off and towel boys. Um, so I had like a photo of him getting, uh, receiving a towel and I, and I tagged him and my brother, who's a professional photographer, like, I guess, looked at his profile and was like, oh, it says he's a pro photographer. I guess this tennis thing is a, uh, is a side gig. Huh. <laughs> you know, like, like his account said, you know, photographer, like, you know, um, Steve the Hawk. Yeah, that's Instagram. right. He's got a whole second. Yeah. He's got two. He's got his Steve the Hawk one, his photography one, then he's like. Tsitsipas one, the tennis player. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. I, I guess I only had his uh, photography one originally. Yeah. And right. like, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's like a, he's a mediocre photographer who has good cameras. I mean, that's, yeah. 
but how could it be more than that? You know, I mean, I think it's still, it's also just, I think, you know, he's a guy who has different interests, which on the tour, you know, yeah, that's fine. Like that, I, don't, I don't mind that. It's, uh, and, and I think his interest in photography, it's kind of like, you know, like a boy, boy with toys, you know, like he, he likes the, the technical aspects of the specs on this camera and like what lens can do, you know, like, yeah, he has interests and I'm all for him pursuing his art. I just, he, he just rubbed me, the, he just rubbed me the wrong way a bit. Cause I, I think maybe yeah. it's part of my own personality as well that I, I see when I was younger, I wanted to be like loved and cool and an artist and everything, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, there's definitely there's a type of personality who would be like, I want to be the most beloved tennis player of all time, where you'd just be like, give me a fucking break, you know? <laughs> like there's there's just no way. Like I feel like with Steph, it's like I don't know. There's sort of like he is. I find him lovable, and I feel like people respond to him. So. We'll see. It's it'll be interesting. I, even in that final, like it felt like Dominic Team was getting a lot of support, but Pass maybe had a little bit more. Okay. Um, team, I don't know. You guys, how do you guys feel about Team? He's been playing great lately. Al, um, I uh, not really sure. I do like him, but he's a bit. He just blends into the background for me a little bit. Even though he's really, I like that he's really powerful and he's got a great backhand and he's, he's all his game is quite solid, but he just kind of blends in the background for me. I don't know. I don't know what it is. No real reason in particular, but I, I generally like him, but I just don't really um, focus on him or follow him too closely. Yeah, I know what you mean. He doesn't. He doesn't stand out. He doesn't have. He has a bit more of a bland personality than Sitsipas. But I, for that reason, I've come to like him and respect him a bit more um, re- recently. And he does have a very funny Austrian accent. I, I love his <laughs> yeah, accent, and and it was exemplified for me when was it the Australian Open, um, or maybe it was another tournament this year. Where Serena Williams got her press conference in front of here, he had the room booked apparently or something. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. He had to move, and then he was like, oh, "But I, I, you know, <laughs> something like this." He's like, he was quite put out, and he kind of didn't really say anything, but he was like, clearly, <laughs> "But I was here, why is she? But she," <laughs> and, and it was very funny, and um, yeah, I, I like you. I like how he speaks. Yeah, that's like probably one of the more defining parts of his personality. I mean, he, you know, he expresses himself like he's got facial expressions. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I like that he is, you know, he's got the like sporting relationship with Kiki Mladenovic. At least I, I think they're still together. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I've, I've heard I mean, rumors it just, it seems not, like, I'm not sure. Oh, you've heard rumors. They okay. break up. Uh, Unconfirmed. Kiki's, Un- unsubstantiated. I think, I think. I think Kiki can do better, but um, Kiki can do better. You, know. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I mean, not not in terms of like ranking points. <laughs> That'd be weird um, if you were basing it on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not not very many available ranking points above 
Dominic team. I mean, he's number four in the world right now. Yeah, right? that's Damn. right. It's just a big three otherwise. <laughs> yeah. It's like oh, maybe Tsitsipas in a couple months, but <laughs> yeah, you can't really trade up. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like, I agree. Team to kind of blend into the background and I, I just generally don't like him. You know, I generally root against him. I hope that he beats Rafa in a French Open final. I think that would be awesome. I'd probably like him more if he was able to pull that off, you know? Um, anybody who beats Rafa on clay, I'm like, you know, I feel positive vibes towards. Um, so, I don't know. He just, yeah, just haven't ever been able to totally warm up to him. I feel like his game style also kind of isn't that much fun to me. I mean, he pummels the ball, um, and but he plays so far behind the baseline, it's like he's not even on TV half the time. You know? <laughs> like, um, so I don't know, but he, he had a great finish to his season. He's clearly a, like a contending player on hard courts. I mean, he won Indian Wells, had really good showings at the U S open, uh, got to the ATP, got to the finals of the ATP final. So, he's going to be dangerous. He missed two grand slams from illness last year and he still ended up what? Number four, number five, whatever. He's, he, yeah. he does kind of like slide under the radar, but he's, he's there grinding. And I think he's going to be the first one to take over from the big three. Interesting. I, I definitely, I think there's a pretty good chance he'll win a slam next year. Yeah. I think I he think win, so. he could win the French or the U S open, I think. Yeah. Um, and, um, but I don't know. Yeah. There's a few guys. I think next year might be the year. I feel like it's so hard to tell with Novak. Like it feels like he slipped just a little bit lately. Yeah. You know? And so I'm like, I don't know. It feels like there's an opening there. And Rafa, like, it's just always about injury. You know, if he gets hurt at all, um, especially on the hard, in the hardcore tournaments. And Roger, Roger feels like he's just kind of on the outside. Like maybe he could get another Wimbledon. And I think that's it. But, yeah, I think so. If he's lucky. Yeah. Somebody's going to win. Uh, somebody on the men's side is going to win a slam for the first time next year, I think. I think so. I hope yeah. so. Yeah, me too. But I hope Novak wins three of them. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope Novak, Roger, and Rafa are winning slams for the next five years, but I hope they're not the only ones. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like that would be cool if, like, other guys were challenging them, beating them in finals. Like, the fact that Medvedev was right there against Rafa in the fifth set this year, you know. Yeah, we'll it's see. exciting. We will see. Um, we've been going for a while. This is this is a long one. Yeah. So maybe uh, maybe we should wrap it up. It was fun. Yeah. All right. Good. See you All next right. time. Yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. If and if you are a stranger, if you don't know who we are, and you've listened to eighty minutes of the tennis tragic, please send us an email. <laughs> like we want to hear from you. Um, we're we're trying to grow our podcast past like our friends and family listening, you know, I think we're going to, we're shooting for a hundred listeners in 2020. So. Yeah. And so for, um, to start the next season off, we're going to be all together for the first time in tennis tragic podcast history. Oh yeah. So we'll be doing it's a bunch gonna, of them. We're going to do ATP it's gonna Cup. Be epic. We're going to do Australian open. Um, hopefully weekly, maybe daily throughout those. So yeah, should be good. And we're going to have the tennis tragic grand slam. Me and David. That's it's right. Gonna be awesome. Yeah. Who's going to take home the trophy? It'll be Alex, but um, I'm going to try to win. Yeah, good. That's all <laughs> so, we want. So, uh, so, yeah, email us, tennistragicpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram. 
And uh, we will see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Thanks, everybody.